Matthew 5. You'll have uh, your Bibles right there, or your right there. The scripture is available for you there in the worship folder as well. Uh, boy, a lot, a lot of, it's almost, every time we get together, it's like a family reunion. Uh, we have the Sterners here from Alaska. Welcome back, folks. It's great to see you, and uh, hope you enjoy uh, Hawaii again, and uh, transition smoothly to the island, and uh, a little different weather here than Alaska. Slightly different weather. Okay. All right. I didn't expect that. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Wow. Okay, so um, I've been doing a a series of sort of reflective type sermons on my sabbatical, uh, which was was six months long, and um, so in July I did three messages really about the things that I was discovering about myself, the things that um, were rumbling around in my heart that I probably couldn't detect or understand until I had quiet and had a chance to reflect. And so this morning, uh, really, while I was preaching in July, I kept thinking, you know, those first three Beatitudes, you ought to speak on those. And then I'd preach again on a different subject. And, you know, those first three Beatitudes, those are probably what you should speak on. So coming into the Sunday, I thought, you know, I think I'm going to speak on those first three Beatitudes um, as such a connect, connected theme for my own heart, and, um, and I hope that you will identify with these today. So let's take a moment, and uh, let's pause and ask our God to be with us in a special way. Father, thank you for this moment. Um, I am uh, the recipient of your incredible grace toward me, um, and I pray that um, as this Sunday uh, unfolds and... Um, we enter into hearing from you and listening to you, we will truly be uh, taken back by the grandeur of, of the gospel. Uh, help us if we are tired. Help us if we are anxious. Um, if our hearts are weighed down, uh, grant to us, Lord, uh, a way of seeing things more clearly. And I, I ask you ahead of time, we thank you ahead of time. Uh, Lord, be with us in this moment. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, as a pastor, there is probably no greater moment, a more delightful thing to, um, to be with someone who is wrestling with the three kinds of subjects that come up in the first three Beatitudes. Uh, Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and then uh, uh, blessed are the meek. And sometimes when I have had the opportunity to counsel people, they have come with a great doubt upon them about whether or not God could love them, whether or not God could receive them, accept them. And it's interesting to listen to them talk about the condition of their heart, the things that they are burdened with, and it is exactly the kind of thing that Jesus addresses in this sermon. Uh, We call it the Sermon on the Mount. I think these are profoundly important for um, the Christian life. In fact, they are descriptors of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, The Christian is listed here in Matthew 5. These qualities are to be evident uh, in a believer's life. And I have a title this morning, uh, 
Captivated and Compelled by the Grace of God. If you take a moment, look at that title. Captivated and Compelled. Actually, borrowing that from Scotty Smith from a couple years ago when he was here. He's a PCA pastor in Franklin, Tennessee. Some of you may follow him or know about him from his, his, from his popularity on uh, social media and his books. Um, Scotty came and preached a sermon, and that was his title, so I'm just borrowing his title this morning uh, in the interest of full disclosure. Uh, captivated and Compelled. Um, I think those things are functioning in uh, every true believer. Uh, Jesus is describing what, what grace looks like in, in the heart uh, of, a, of a Christian. First of all, I want to make sure that we understand that the Beatitudes are not someone who is trying to produce these things in their life and therefore trying to be acceptable to God. So they're making an effort to do, uh, say, peacemaking or um, being, trying to figure out how to become poor in spirit and therefore, then they would somehow earn God's favor. That, nothing could be further from the truth because Jesus is not looking for obedience. He's actually declaring uh, a blessed state uh, apart from obedience. And so let's take a look at these first three Beatitudes because I really think they all are interconnected. Uh, clearly, you can go through the, these, these statements from Jesus and you can find a connectivity between all of them uh, but these first three are very instructive, and I would suggest that they are progressive. You get the first one, and then you move into the second one, and then you move into the third one. And so this morning, I want to just look at blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and, and blessed are, are the meek. Um, I want you to notice first in the... Verse 3 of Matthew 5, when Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, how countercultural that statement is and, and has always been. There's nothing like the words of Jesus here. There is no religious uh, system or teacher uh, that would ever say this. There is something to be done, most religions teach, something to be done. Some, some activity to be performed, and then you will find peace, then you will find what you're looking for. You need to, to do this activity. But here Jesus declares that if you are growing in your awareness of your spiritual poverty, if you realize you have nothing to bring to the table, you, it is counterintuitive, but he is declaring at that moment that that person should think differently about their condition and listen to his words. His words have, uh, are all important at this moment. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In fact, uh, nothing could be more important for a foundation for the Christian life than these three Beatitudes. Um, are you experiencing this quality of poorness of spirit? Are you increasingly aware of a continual cry to God, oh God, here's where I fall short, oh God, here's a new awareness of, of my inability, apart from your grace, to do anything? Uh, we think about uh, Kaniella going back to seminary, uh, and I was, I've often been reflecting on seminary students these days, I'm not sure why. 
uh, I sort of want to walk into the classroom and grab them by the, by, by the shirt and get, get their attention, various reasons. But if I had a chance to just cruise around a seminary for about three or four weeks and just have coffee with young men going to seminary, I would probably just camp right here in Matthew 5, 3, 4, and 5. There is enough here, if it would, could function as a foundation for a young man's life and ministry, uh, you have more than enough foundation. Imagine the tone of someone's ministry if they really understood these things. Uh, it is not true of every minister or ministries or churches that this creates the environment or the tone, the, the weather, if you will, of, of the church. Often there is uh, uh, legalism uh, that creeps in, some sort of denial of the grace of God. And this is an extraordinary foundation for all Christian living. And I want you to think, as you're listening to me this morning, probably the most important thing you could walk away with this morning is this. So I want you to think about these three Beatitudes and ask yourself what kind of tone, what kind of communication, non-verbally and verbally, just some sort of sense about you as a person, what tone would be communicated if these were more and more manifested in your life? Uh, I believe this is vital for all Christian ministry. And uh, these three I reflected on uh, by way of just the direct teaching of Jesus during my sabbatical, these three were, were often in my, my thoughts. And I want you to also do another thing as we're here this morning. Not only think about the tone that would come out of it, but I want you to think about the unexpected statement of Jesus. And I want you to ask yourself whether or not you're, you're living in the unexpected. I want you to notice what he says to the poor in spirit who feel so far, they should never be at this party, they should never be in this kingdom, they should never, ever, they don't qualify. The poor in spirit are told something unexpected. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's the unexpected. We as Christians are responding in our whole life to the unexpected. Uh, worship is a response to the unexpected. It is a response of awe to the unexpected mercy of God. Who would have thought that someone who is mourning, and we'll talk about what that is, who is mourning, who is grieving, who is unable to fix their situation would be directly comforted by the words of Jesus, you shall be comforted. Surprise, surprise, if you've ever... You can think about grieving for the loss of a loved one. Being comforted feels completely impossible at that moment. Or how about the meek? What are they surprised by? The meek are surprised by, uh, by the way, you're going to inherit the world, the earth. Is that big enough for you? So, so uh, t- take this away with you. Not only the tone that would come out, the, the nonverbal, personal way you come across, but think about, are you living in the unexpected? Are you like, whoa, that, that's, that's something to dwell on. Work at it. Uh, become re-enchanted uh, with that, if you, if you will. So, um, okay, so uh, 
Uh, and again, I, I do that because we lose our joy, don't we? We lose our joy as Christians. And there's something to, to the rediscovery of the unexpected that is vital for our lives. So let me uh, frame the, the rest of our time together by, by way of this message in terms of, of some questions. Uh, questions that the person who is experiencing poor spirit, what are the kinds of questions they would be asking? Someone who is mourning... Uh, what are the kinds of questions they would be asking? And then someone who is meek, what are the kinds of questions they would be asking? Uh, the poor in spirit. Um, is, they're they're kind of asking this. They're, they're beginning to sense, uh, if we put it in the, the first person here, I feel and sense only my spiritual poverty. My inability overwhelms me. All that I have tried hasn't worked. Uh, The saviors I have created have not come through. I see something now of what I have refused to give. I have refused to give a glorious, beautiful God honor. I've refused to give him obedience. I've taken delight in another path. I found other idols. This is the And now I am seeing that no amount of cleverness on my part, no effort will work, nor can it ever work. Before God's law, I am exposed. And only God's mercy could help, but how can I ask for that? I would say, suggest that the person who's experiencing this quality of poorness of of spirit is asking the question, I am too far gone. I know that only I could only be rescued by the mercy of God, but how can I ask for that? I certainly can't demand it. So there's a lot of tension in this. There's a lot of anxiousness. There are people in churches today who do not know or have not been blessed with clear gospel communication. They are experiencing poorness of spirit and they are convinced that something is wrong with them. They are no longer trying to be a Pharisee. They're tired. They can't put up the the, the show. They're done with legalisms. They're done with all the pretense. They're done with all the pretending. They're done with all the Christian whatever. They're done and they are feeling like they are far from the kingdom, and no one is telling them that they're close, that they're in. And so they are lost in this despair. They do not know that they are actually experiencing the kind of quality that is required of a person who is abandoning their self-righteousness. You ever want to read a great story? You want to read a great story? The story is sort of complex and a little bit long, and I'd probably end up repeating the whole story to tell you it, so I'm going to spare you. But this week, before our daughter Amaris flew off to college, and by the way, you can pray for Marianne and I, we are in deep grief. Uh, We have a daughter who lives in Mexico, and we have a daughter who lives in northern Georgia, and uh, our house is, our dog cannot make enough noise. Uh, Bark, do do something. Uh, We are rattling around in a house that feels really big. 
And Connie, you left too. What's going on around here? So, um, but this, this summer I was, I promised Amaris that we would read Flannery O'Connor, the southern writer back in the 30s, 40s. Well, we successfully didn't do that. So this last week, uh, we had some fun with Amaris. We went to do the shark cage on the North, North Shore. That was awesome. I didn't realize you were supposed to be in the cage. I, I, I just, it was exciting. But, um, so, and then uh, that same day, um, I read out loud in our kitchen uh, with various actors, uh, voices for the, uh, the different people, but I read out loud for Amaris a short story from Flannery O'Connor called Revelation. I highly recommend it to you. I will not repeat the details of it, but it's about a southern woman who is in a doctor's office waiting around and stuck with people she would not normally associate with. And she is, she is given a revelation from God in that moment. And it causes her for a flash of a moment to be poor in spirit. She is self-righteous. Self-righteous. So the poor in spirit are wondering about the mercy of God, and they cannot demand it of God. Psalm 51, verse 16, you will not delight in sacrifice. This is David repenting. You will not delight in my activity. Or I would give it. If that was a way, I'll bring a bull. I'll bring something. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the gospel. Right when we're exposed, right when we are feeling like we could never have uh, the mercy of God, God is gracious. Awareness of this weakness is an evidence of regeneration. That's a fancy word for being born again. You've been enabled to see yourself in light of God's infinite holiness and the perfection of God's holy law. You are able to see yourself. You have a glimpse of reality. We can only handle so much of reality, but you got a glimpse of it. The poor in spirit have hearts of flesh, not of stone, and their eyes see. They still don't quite see perfectly, but they see enough. And in these first three beatitudes, poor in spirit, mourning, and uh, meekness, in these three beatitudes, we're seeing God revealing the true condition of a person, but also, here's the good news, God rebuilding of a person, God's rebuilding strategy for a person. It is the re-imaging of a person. We are fallen We are not what we ought to be. We're aware of our condition. And God, through Jesus, is restoring us to our our status as image bearers. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. And notice the unexpected statements of Jesus. Those are to restore us mostly by living in the hope of these promises. So, let's move to mourning then. Blessed are those who mourn. Really, I think the first two Beatitudes are describing repentance. They're describing the heart that is now agreeing with God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn are, have become their own self-accusers. In our cultural day, we can blame our DNA, 
our lack of sleep. Um, we can blame our parents. We can blame our circumstances. We can, uh, we just, we, it keeps going. Uh, lots of uh, creativity personally, uh, academically. Scholars will help us uh, f- find something outside of ourselves. And Jesus locates the problem within us. And by the way, there is a movement in the Beatitudes. It is, right now we're going this way. We're going this way. kind of feels uncomfortable. But guess what? We're going to move outward. Blessed are the, blessed are the merciful. That's going outward. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's going outward. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Well, they went out with a message. See what I'm saying? So it, it starts inward. The heart is reestablished in the love and, and goodness of God and his favor. And then it, excuse me, it starts inward and then moves outward. And, and it is powerful as it moves outward, just as powerful as it moves inward. So blessed are those who mourn. They are their own self-accusers. Um, the, the mourning person is asking, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? I am overwhelmed, for I have become my own accuser. I see that I own my sin, my disregard for your honor, holiness, beauty. You are just in your justice. It has a sting to it. We glibly talk about God's justice, but this is at a deeply personal level, and it has a sting that will not go away. I agree with you. I no longer fight against your assessment of me. I see my need to change. I must be comforted in order to, be, to change. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? The condition feels hopeless. It feels hopeless. Uh, Jesus loved to describe this in parables, by the way, when someone who is feeling hopeless, feeling so distant from the kingdom, and then he gives his blessing of, actually, you're in. <laughs> and that, in Luke 18, he uses a parable of the tax collector, who is uh, not like the Pharisee who is uh, so proud of all his achievements. The tax collector appears in the temple, and he, can, he can't raise his head, and he says, standing far off, he's, he can't get close, would, um, he would not raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then in Luke 18, uh, we have Jesus' Jesus's own commentary on that. And the commentary says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, the proud Pharisee, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So here's the mourning person, the person who is their own self-accuser, what is their comfort? What is the unexpected? The unexpected is there is someone who came to take your sorrow. There's someone who came who was bruised on your behalf. There's someone who came who was who suffered on your behalf, who, who took your just punishment, and he cried out, it is finished. And in that cry is our comfort. It is finished. In there, in that unexpected cry of Jesus from the cross, it is for those who are mourning. They are mourning, and they need to be encouraged and comforted because someone came and actually did what was necessary to bring comfort. Paul Tripp describes us as an author, counselor, Paul Tripp. 
He, uh, he described us as impoverished rebels. Impoverished rebels. That describes the, the mourner. Who deserve nothing but get everything in him. And so, our title, Captivated. Do you, do you feel the captivation here? Are you, are you into it? Are you, are you getting it? Captivated and compelled, you see. There's, a, there's an energy in this. There's a strength in this. There's, a, there's, there's a, a movement in this. Ha- having experienced such spiritual despair and then hearing such wonderful words from Jesus, you, you're, you're moving into it. You're moving toward it. It is a love that is going to captivate you. And so far in these two first Beatitudes, we have a declaration from Jesus. Listen to this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Is that big enough? And blessed are those who mourn, for you shall be comforted. In these two, two statements, we have everything we need to live in hope, to be captivated. All right, now, the meek. The meek. Um, Kaniella loves to read philosophers and historians. I think of uh, Nietzsche. Nietzsche hated the concept of meekness. Uh, hated the idea that we could not assert our will and uh, become uh, superman, as it were, and through the power of our wills achieve what we need to do in life. The idea of being meek was, was despised and uh, by him and, and by others. Meekness, Jesus highlights, blessed are the meek. Well, let's talk about these. Uh, I think we should define it. And here it is. It's a significant loss of self-awareness and self-importance. A significant loss of self-awareness and self-importance. You are receiving your lowliness. Receiving your lowliness. It's a humble self-forgetfulness. No matter what titles you may have in this world, no matter what you've gained, what you've earned, um, before a holy God, you are no longer pretending. You see this humble place and you receive it you're not ashamed of it, you see. You're embracing it. You're accepting it, you see. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to go to the humble place. It's okay. I'll be all right. I'm accepting this. But there's a question that the meek is asking, I think. Because meekness is, uh, I don't know, it's difficult. I guess we have Barnes & Noble left, uh, right? Borders is gone, but Barnes & Noble, it's diff- difficult to go down to Barnes & Noble. Maybe you can go, and, you know, meekness has become a bestseller. Is that possible? Uh, top of the New York Times bestseller list? I don't, I don't think so. It's usually the person who is dynamic, uh, charismatic, uh, able to get their goals done, someone who is successful, right? That, that's how it all works, right? So meekness is a quality and I, uh, that is produced by, by God in the Christian. And here's the, here's the question, I think, that the, the meek person is asking. Um, 
I see the power of self-will all around me. I see successful people around me. I see a world that I should chase after. And if I live out this humble identity, which seems so right before God, will I not be, will I not be forgotten? Will I not be sort of just overrun, unnoticed, forgotten? I mean, I realize I I need to be in this place. I realize that to be meek before a holy God and a sovereign God is right. But the meek are something rumbling around in their minds. Won't I be forgotten? Won't I be overwhelmed? Won't the world pass me by? Won't, Won't I fall off into an abyss of insignificance? And to these, Jesus says, you will inherit the earth. You see what he's doing? He's going after the fear. He's going after the fear of insignificance. He's going after the fear of, and of what will this meekness do in the end? In this rough and tumble world, it is, I I would be forgotten. Imagine that you are working for some Fortune 500 company and you are... uh, exhibiting meekness as you conduct yourself in this big company. Wouldn't it feel like all the movers and shakers around you are actually getting promoted? What will it do for you? I'd suggest that Jesus is giving us the greatest comfort possible. And what he says is this, I will connect you with my great redemptive work where there will be a new heaven and new earth and you will be partakers of that with me. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's interesting, you go through the New Testament, you'll see these beautiful little zingers, zingers of truth. Wait a minute, God has for the children of God, those who are overlooked, those who are not, the, who are not demanding attention, those who are letting this meekness manifest itself, They are part of a triumphant procession at the end of the age. And he will not overlook this beautiful quality of submissiveness, ultimately what meekness is, a willingness to receive authority. In all of these verses, in Matthew 5, 3, 4, and 5, can you hear something else going on? Can you hear this? Let me see if this works. Can you hear Romans 8, 1? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are, what, in Christ Jesus. Can you hear it? Can you hear Jesus assuring the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek? There's no condemnation for you. Oh, you have plenty of evidence. I've I've taken care of all that evidence, see, on the cross. And so, our title, Compelled, Captivated and Compelled. So, Here's the question. Are you compelled by these things? Am I compelled by these things? You see, what Jesus is describing is really a response. Now, it's not articulated there. Notice in verse 3 and 4 and 5, there's no activity of of the people who listen to it. It doesn't say, and therefore they went out and, uh, you know, 
did something, right? It doesn't say. There's no action by the disciples. But you know it's packed with activity, right? You know it's packed with passionate response. And it's sort of like this, this unspoken, how could we not respond to this? Again, I want you to pick up on that relational vibe of being so well-loved. What is my, what's my tone? How do I come across? If this really is my condition before a holy God and I've been so well-loved, what is my relational vibe? I've often used this. If I've used it before, uh, please be, uh, be uh, merciful to me. <laughs> um, years ago, I was a, a youth guy in a church and went to... Uh, to a gathering of youth pastors in Colorado. And uh, it was an ideal thing because it was during winter, and so we got to ski. This is a perfect conference, ready? You have about two hours of instruction in the morning, and then you're free to ski. That's like, that's like the best conference ever. So a guy who wrote a book called Parenting Adolescence, his name's Kevin Huggins. He was our speaker. There's about 200 youth pastors from around the country. And in between sessions, Kevin Huggins would, would be available to talk, you know. And so we're up there talking with him, and I remember hanging out there listening to the questions. And Kevin Huggins uh, then addressed us as the days went on, and he said this. He said, you know, uh, after I talk and some of you come up and talk to me, right? so he's talking to a large group now. He says, you know, some of you come up and talk to me. He says this. He says, uh, I can tell in about three minutes whether or not you love me. Um, Boy, he wasn't very popular at that moment. I can tell in about three minutes whether or not you love me. What he meant was, and they asked this question, I wonder what your students feel when they're around you. That was his application to us. See, See, when, when, I, when I use the word compelled by the love of God, compelled by the love of God, it, there's something r- remarkably transformative about the way we think about people and our circumstances. If we are so well loved, w- what does it mean for us in our stance toward other people? You see, you were in really big trouble. <laughs> like, I can't describe to you how deep the weeds were before a holy God. You could not meet his demands for righteousness. You couldn't. And he sent the meek one, the truly meek one, Jesus, Son of God, became embodied in flesh. What greater demonstration, what greater pace setting by our own God to come and to be among us and to be meek among us in order to rescue us. That is love embodied. And what we do in in, in being compelled by this love is that we're seeking after this love. We're studying this love. We're wanting to be near this love. We have been loved with a higher love. We are intrigued with it. We're pressing in on it. We're, We're captivated by it, but not consistently, but we keep moving toward it. What's being described here is that God is willing to be the receiver and blesser of those who cannot give back. Listen carefully. 
God is the, the blesser. God is the one who receives those who cannot give back. There's a little bit of a test among church planters and, and pastors whether or not we can talk in our day, in our cultural moment, can we speak without using Christian words and describe the gospel. We have our own little kind of Christianese, you know what I'm saying? Redemptive or this or that, right? And so the non-Christian is, uh, I don't, help me understand that in, in plain language, right? I would encourage you to think about that. Help me think about that. How can I communicate the gospel in more clear language that doesn't need to have an understanding of the book of Romans or something like that? So I would encourage you, maybe it is this, that God receives and blesses those who cannot give back because of what Jesus has done. Captivated and compelled. So I want to encourage you, life in the church is all about being rebuilt. Life in the church is all about expressing this poorness of spirit, this mourning, this meekness in service to others. It is the process that we are under and a beautiful process of being rebuilt and remade in the image of God. Such is the love of God for us. May God richly bless his word today. Let's pray.